just a little motto in my head is uh, don't be afraid to try but also don't be afraid to, to fail because it's from your things that fail that you learn most and uh, we've failed in a, in a good few things and that's how we learn as we went along. Hello, I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. As part of Signpost Sustainability Week, dairy farmers John and Brendan Walsh join us to document their journey through the adoption of science and technologies to improve and enhance their farming system, both environmentally and financially. We're farming here in, in Belladubi in South Tipperary, um, milking 157 cows on a milking platform of 64 or 62 hectares, uh, 62% of that which is in clover. All our replacement stock is reared on the farm. Um, we have a replacement rate of 22%, which is a little bit high, but we're still kind of expanding a small bit nearly there. Um, we have a small beef enterprise, which is unusual for dairy men, but we have uh, some heavy ground, which is not suitable for dairy farming. So we kind of, the beef enterprise looks after that, uh, which this year went into the acre scheme. Um, we have a stocking, stocking rate of 205 kgs of nitrogen per Per hector. Um, that's basically the rundown of the farm. And given that it's sustainability week, to you, Brendan, can you talk us through how the farming practices and, and your attitude towards how you farm has evolved in the last number of years? Yeah, I suppose our our attitudes probably haven't really changed, um, Emma Louise. We've always been focused on the environment and sustainability, but there's probably more of a focus, um, I suppose, we're maybe uptaking the new practices maybe quicker because of the urgency that's required in, you know, improving water quality and improving, um, um, uh, I suppose, reacting to climate change and whatnot. So, like some of the practices that we've taken up in the last couple of years, selective dry cow was probably the first one we, we did. Then protected urea, we started using that around 2018. Um, low emission slurry spreading. We got a, a low emission slurry spreading tank in 2020, I think it was. Um, Clover is probably the big one that's been our main focus since 2021. And then kind of soil health all along, um, <clears throat> excuse me, from I suppose probably 2014 onwards, we've been kind of really focusing on soil health and improving pH and um, P and K levels. And then always we've been having a, a real strong focus on animal um, efficiency and animal health. So kind of breeding for, I suppose, more efficient producers of milk solids, but also more healthier um, healthier animals. And I suppose using vaccinations and um, whatnot to increase the health status of the herd. It's, it's interesting, Brendan, you trace some of the the focuses in terms of improving the farm from a sustainability perspective back to 2014. And I, I think it's reflective of um, all of these practices. It's a long game and it's not, um, it, you know, it's not going to be solved overnight. And also it's an ongoing thing. Um, if we take a step back and look, um, there's a nice graphic and it's the 12 steps um, that you can identify on dairy farms to improve um, environmental sustainability and reduce emissions output from farms. And, and, and I suppose you've touched on, on all areas um, that you could bundle them into. But firstly, to soils, um, 
I suppose, John, where is soil fertility at on farm? Um, and, you know, in terms of testing and, and keeping abreast with where individual fields are at, how regularly would you do that? Our soil fertility would be relatively good. Um, we've come a long ways. It's 62% is optimum for line P and K. We say 80, 86% of the soils are indexed 3 and 4 for P and 73% of the soils are indexed 3 and 4 for K. And 80, 84% of the soils are over, over pH of 6.2. Um, in the last three to four years, we started soil sampling every year. And I would phrase that now as the new fertilizer. Uh, you know exactly where you're going and you're keeping your lime and P and K at the correct level, especially when you're so heavily involved in clover and uh, you're not putting out fertilizer where it's not exactly needed. Um, the lime is, a, is applied at reseeding as usual, but there's still other products that get topped up with lime every year, roughly between, we spread between 80 and 100 tons a year. So we're kind of keeping on top of it and you're constantly monitoring, especially when you're not putting out as much fertilizer as you used to put out. And a comment, um, maybe a number on that. So you were talking about, um, you know, a really high proportion of the farm is at that uh, 6.2 or above. And, and you make reference to clover. What sort of um, a pH would you like to see in a clover paddock that, um, you know, in, in, ter in terms of supporting establishment and consistency of clover content, John? To me, you want to be talking 6.5 plus and... Uh... You know, you're const constantly topping up to make sure that you you achieved you achieve uh, your 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 you know your clover establishment. Like, so you're kind of keeping it right. And and then to take a step further and and look at slurry, Brendan, you alluded to it. You've started using low emission slurry technology across the farm. Um, you know, from 2020 specifically, what machine have you purchased? Uh, it's a dribble bar. Very tanker and take us through um just just chatting previously um th there was a mention of slurry sampling and i would say that's probably not a broad spectrum practice on farms across the country so could you give me a little bit in of information about why you're doing that and i suppose are you yielding advantage as a result of sampling your slurry yeah i suppose maybe previous to Taking slurry samples, we like we we've a, an open um, slurry tank, um, and we would have always considered what we had was tick slurry, water slurry, and that was kind of it. But after we sampled um, some of our different tanks, we realised there's a bit more to it than that. Um, so let's we'll say, for example, uh, that mentioned that we finished some beef animals. That would probably be our highest uh, quality from a P and K point of view, um, whereas the slurry from our open tank, while it's low in nitrogen, it was actually slightly higher than what we thought from a K point of view. So uh, previous to, to taking slurry samples, we used to always kind of push the open tank slurry, or a lot of it anyway, on our silage ground, just from a handiness point of view. Whereas now we um, we put the, the, I suppose, the higher value P and K slurry on our silage ground and use the open tank slurry so that's low in nitrogen, but high in K on our um, milk. So you're kind of matching the slurry to where it's required, I suppose, as opposed to um, just maybe a blanket approach. And also because we have the values, 
we can adjust the rates as well. So on our, our higher value P and K slurry, we can put that out at a slightly lower rate um, than what the general, you know, two and a half thousand gallons per, per acre. Um, so that's the, the real value of slurry testing. And I, I guess, you know, Brendan, there's there's just a little bit more thinking and planning in terms of, you know, you have your soil results. Where is this slurry needed and which from which particular tank? I suppose from a practical perspective, a couple of things that might be of interest. The cost of a, a slurry sample to get tested, um, where are you getting it done and, and what time of year are you sending that sample? Yeah, so I think the cost is around 50 euro per sample. Um we're, we're getting it tested in by Southern Scientific. Um, and I think the turnaround is maybe three or four weeks. And it's, we're at, it's, yeah, the last couple of times that we've taken the samples, we've um, got them tested in the early part of the year, so kind of late January. Um, so you kind of have your you have your data then for the full, I suppose, slurry spreading season then of of the status of the, the tank that you sampled. Um, so that's the way we've worked it the last, the last couple of times. And to you then, John, as we, I suppose, build the nutrient plan, chemical fertilizer comes into that. Um, but to talk us through um, the the use of chemical nitrogen, maybe in the last five years, um, you know, has it changed? Have you reduced the quantity of nitrogen going out per hectare? Yeah, yeah, we have, um, we say, but say in 2016, we tried protected urea for the first time, just buying a pellet or just to see how we got on and this from the last you could say from 2021 it's been totally protected urea either the 46 percent or the 38 percent plus some sulfur we we buy we also use muriate potash and sulfur potash a small certain amount of 18 6 12 just to balance p's and k's and uh 10 10 20 at receding uh in 2020 we used 240 kgs of nitrogen per hectare uh this year we used 115 kgs of nitrogen per hectare on the milking platform and 109 on the whole farm so it just shows the drastic change we say when we change over to relying on, on clover to replace the the amount of nitrogen that we were put out in and total fertilizer and you mentioned the uh, at the outset, sixty two percent of the farm now has, um, you know, good clover contents. So you know, I suppose, are you seeing that that one hundred and fifteen kilos of per hectare on the milking platform? You know, your non clover paddocks are they getting a lot more of it, or is it a fairly even one fifteen kilos across the the whole platform? There'll be a bit of a there'll be kind of a range, Emily. So I suppose. On the farm, we've kind of three different types of paddocks, if you like. We've um, we've clover paddocks that are getting zero chemical nitrogen throughout the whole year. We've clover paddocks that are getting spring nitrogen. So they get normal rate spring nitrogen up to about, um, we kind of phase it off or phase it out. So it could be up to March, maybe April, uh, late April. And then we've grass-only paddocks that are getting normal rate chemical nitrogen. So they'll be getting about maybe... 220, 230. Um, we have the zero chemical nitrogen paddocks, as I said, and then the spring chemical nitrogen clover paddocks will be getting in and around maybe 60 to 80 kilos of, of chemical nitrogen. And to you, John, I mean, when we talk about white clover, we can't ignore 
the concerns of many farmers. Um, you know, bloat is still an issue that some farmers are experiencing. Absolutely, some farmers have, have no issues and it doesn't crop up. But it definitely was something that was topical earlier this year. Can you talk us through experiences you might have had with it and how you're managing it? Look, bloat is what you could call it a dairy farmer's nightmare because when it does strike, it's frightening and and, and it kind of knocks you back a bit and makes you think a bit. But um, look, last year we got caught, we lost a cow and we had a number of bloaters. Uh, it's what it, Actually, what happened, it was the perfect storm last year because we had a drought. And then when we, when we came to September, we had lush grass. Every place looked well on paper. And, but uh, let's say our, our problem was, we found out afterwards the problem was no fibre. But what we always do is we have a strip wire up for for, for when the cows are going out. So in other words, they have a breakfast break or whatever you like to call it for an hour and a half. So they're eating clover and the grass. And, um, and then we kind of, after an hour, an hour or an hour and a half or two hours, we'd leave them off. But uh, last year we found, um, when we did all this, that's when our, the, the blow st- struck, struck the farm and uh, we kind of looked into it better and we were, told, we were advised uh, fibre. So fibre was a problem. So we introduced straw um, and just a rough rule of thumb. Last year, the cows ate over or over 70 round bales of straw. So it showed that they were totally lacking in fibre. And uh, they would say this year we introduced straw at an earlier stage, the end of July, and we had no issues at all with bloat. So it's basically getting in, getting in, in in time. Last year it was a fire brigade job because we say we did we had no abundance of grass until September and then cows were eating low, lush grass but with no fibre. And even Brendan observed there last September last year, the cows were in a field of clover, but they were actually eating the hedge. And uh, if we could only understand what the cows are doing, like if they were picking the stones, we'd notice lack of, lack of phosphorus. Or, so pick, eating the hedge, what means that they were lacking a fibre. So this year we introduced the straw earlier and they're constantly... Is they are free of access to them. They they're not restricted to eating straw, but the they have they've they've only used half the amount of straw, but they're it's there for them ad lib. Um, for me, the strip wire and fiber, be it hair straw or silage, whatever you like. Bloat oil would be number three on my list because we only use it for emergencies. Because especially in a year like this year, it's a waste year. They're not drinking enough water. Uh, to get enough bloat oil, and secondly, bloat oil is very expensive. So we're look, we're very confident now at the moment. You know the system we have: the wire, fiber, and uh, the bloat oil is emergencies. Have we have a bit of experience on how to to, to manage bloat now? And I think maybe for you know for farmers that are um, getting into clover and are nervous of of bloat, which is a valid concern. Um, I think it is important to make sure that. Whether you're doing what the I suppose the what we what we are doing with the strip wire or the or the straw, it is important to have something in place because not every day is a, a bloat risk day, but you need to prepare be prepared for the day where there is a big risk of bloat. And while we're not using 
blow tile in the water, we do have it on hand if we do have a cow that needs to be treated. And it is right beside the milk and parlour, right beside the crush. So it's there and ready. And I think it is important that there is some sort of treatment um, on farm ready for when it might happen. Because like, even though we're pretty confident in, I suppose, the, the measures we've in place, that's not to say that we'll, ne- we'll never get a case of bloat again. So I think, as I said, it is important to have that bloat oil or some sort of treatment ready to go in case of an emergency. That's an interesting one, John, in terms of the, the round bales of straw and what you're talking about with in excess of 70 bales. It's, um, you know, I suppose the, the budget there is you want a half a bale of straw per cow to support that um, fibre demand. I suppose, you know, what's, what comes to mind then straight away is, you know, the I suppose the nutritional value of straw is, is lower than, you know, your, your grass or your grass clover sward. So the obvious question to you, Brendan, how is that impacting on animal performance? Well, I suppose proportionally in the diet, you know, that amount of straw is quite small. And you're also, they're also eating, I suppose, a higher proportion of straw when they're on the, the clover. And that's what the clover is um, higher digestible and they get higher intake. So you're kind of not really, there's no real effect, maybe a slight increase in butter fat last year. Um but I don't at this year I don't really notice much of a difference. So I don't think the straw is having that much of a of an impact from 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 that point of view. And I suppose just uh, just to to reaffirm it before we move on, you know, it is a concern. And um, as you talk, um, John, it's it's the it's a dairy farmer's worst nightmare. And you know, at that pinch point where you have the cow that's 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 dead in the field, and you have another few that are blown up, it is an incredibly stressful situation. And any of these tips in terms of the strip wire and the the fiber source in order to combat that is 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 really important. I suppose if we move on to animal health, and again, John, uh, to you, Brendan, it's something that you pointed out as being uh, really important. You're looking at um, you know efficient animals. Has milk solids production per cow uh, risen over the last number of years um, on farm? Probably since uh, 2018, we've probably seen a good um, jump in, in milk solids. So I think around 2020 was our, the highest we've been, and that would have been um, around 540. Um, but I suppose with banding, there's a, there could have been a little bit of a pinch if we kept going. Um, so we're just, in, just about in the second band, so... I suppose there's more of an advantage in staying just about in, in the band than being just about over it. Um, so kind of from now on, we'll be aiming to be around maybe the 530 kilos of solids. But any gains we get in, in kilos will come from percentages. So we're, we're, we're only kind of breeding for milk kilos, or sorry, milk solids kilos, but coming from percentages as opposed to coming from volume. And what else? Uh, Brendan, are you looking at when you're selecting a bull to create the future cow in the herd? On the milk, we're probably re- selecting really hard on, on percentages, as I said, so kind of 0.3 for fat and 0.2 for protein are, are the minimum, um, which can be pretty hard to, to, to find. Um, maintenance is the other is the other key one, so uh, the bull has to be above uh, 17 kilo or 17 euro for maintenance. Um, and health health has been the other the other one we've been focusing on um lately. So 
kind of plus it has to be positive anyway and probably aiming for four five ideally and going forward the new um carbon sub index will will be kind of one with that will be thrown into the mix as well but as i said with the criteria we have it can be very tricky to get i suppose the bull we're looking for to fit into the bull team so that's why we've also been focusing very hard on um the cows that we have too so we would have genotyped all our cows last no uh, last november and as well as sex semen we can actually i suppose um go pretty hard select pretty hard on the cows that we breed off as well so that probably has had as much of an advantage as the um criteria we set for the bulls and it's interesting when you when you talk about the the specific traits you're looking at and when you spell out the numbers i can totally see what you mean it's kind of above what the the recommended targets are and you are limiting your pool but you are i guess really looking for that elite um elite uh, progeny um to um you know get out onto farm and perform for you um I suppose, um, you know, something that's been talked about now is health is the new fertility. And, you know, we would have spoken with you way back in 2018 um, in the early days of the Dairy Edge when you were Milk Quality Award winners. Um, you mentioned selective dry cow therapy um, is something that you would have went into uh, very early, Brendan. But to you, John, if there's one or two key points from an animal health perspective that you would see as, as focuses on the farm. Well, like I said, we we got involved in the we started doing the dry cow selected dry cow, and we're up to sixty five percent at the moment. Like you know, it's um and trying to you know trying to achieve trying to maintain that and keep there. It's you know it's it's difficult to say without your antibiotics, like you know, which you are totally reliant on. What I personally think the main driving for driver we had at, at the moment is vaccinating. I'd say all our younger stock, having them having them vaccinated with all the vaccines by tw- by twelve months, um, it has reduced a lot of problems. Like you know, I found with say when you were doing them at in calf heifer stage, there was still lingering problems. That especially you know salmonella, you might get a, calf, a heifer that would throw a calf there at Christmas time, and you get it analysed, and it always come back as a symptom of salmonella. But since we start going back further, so that the calves are totally vaccinated by the time they hit twelve months coming into the breeding season, there's little or no problems. So the the vaccines, I know they're expensive, but they're covering covering a lot of problems and sorting them out. And and just a comment from you, John. You mentioned that you you have a small beef enterprise, and and interestingly, I would say that quite a proportion of of dairy farmers have and retain their calves for a certain amount of time, be it until the first winter or or indeed uh, to finishing. But um, a, a key driver of reducing the footprint of the farm would be reducing age at slaughter. Is that something that you have been able to achieve within your beef stock? Yeah, it is. Um, because with, uh, especially last year now, I kind of monitored them. If you went two and three years ago, I would say a lot of the stock would have been 25 months maybe, before you would get them finished and out, they were nearly all gone at 22 months last year. So you know it shows that the genetics are there to um, to to achieve these ways at slaughter and get them, let's say, slaughtered earlier. 
and good good genetics, John. Any other factors in terms of management that you 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 have changed in order to drive that? Pushing them at a younger age, we'd say pushing calves when they're out on grass at the moment, so that we'd say first of all it costs less because they're a smaller animal. But you're you're achieving your your target weights and plus weights. You know what I mean? You're you're you're, you're gaining ground quicker at a, at a less less of a cost. And uh, so I find like when they go to grass as a uh, as you know, as yearlings or whatever in March or the sooner you can get them out, they're ahead before, before when you are when you're getting them out and you're totally relying on the grass for the second summer like, and you're 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 achieving your target weights. And I guess that makes sense in the overall picture, John. If if they're ahead of time in the early days, that's where you're cutting those days which lead into months in terms of age at slaughter. I appreciate we've covered a lot of ground. So I have one final question for both of you. I suppose firstly to you, Brendan, and when we think about these changes in practices, um, you know, like for example, uh, the low emission flurry spreading, you purchased a new tank for that. But, um, you know, is there a concern about costs of implementing new practices? I know people talk about things are, they cost you, some things are cost neutral. But, you know, wh- where is your conversation uh, on farm about costs of adopting new technologies. Well, I suppose the one you mentioned, Louise, the, the low emission story spreading was probably the, the most costly one, um, even though there was a grant wishes as well, which made it much, much easier. But um, so if, if you take, for example, our, our zero nitrogen paddock um, and compare it to maybe a, 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 say a paddock that's getting 200 kilos of, of um, protected urea. So we purchased our 2024 protected urea um, for 540 euro a ton. So if you work it back, that's um, that's a saving of about 250 euro per hectare on nitrogen not spread. So if you then multiply that across whatever amount of hectares you can get at zero end, you know there's a huge saving to be to be got there. Um, so we'd be I suppose all the things that we've implemented, they're all um, they're all I suppose measures that are um, both water quality positive, climate positive, but also financially positive for us as well. And and to you, John, um, change makes people uncomfortable. And um, you know, I suppose particularly there's a lot of new technologies and practices. Um, you know, changes in products that we're, we're using on farm in order to, I suppose, meet our, our targets um, from agriculture. Um, I suppose not not to be ageist, but you are the older person in this arrangement on farm, you know, farm with your son, Brendan. So for you, if there's somebody who is a couple of steps behind you in terms of uh, adoption of practices and technology, what's your advice to them? Talk about changes. <laughs> changes here would frighten me, really, because uh, we've, we've tried, we're into clover, red clover, mixed species, and... Uh, this year we tried uh, stitching in plantain on its own. So if that wouldn't frighten anyone, I don't know what. <laughs> but I I put it all down to, to this, Emma Louise. Going by the 12 steps, the, the majority of them will be covered by soil health. So I would say get your soil health corrected and uh, your fertilizer and your clover and your reseedings will work perfectly. But you have to get your your basics corrected, and I just I have a little motto in my head is uh, don't be afraid to try, but also don't be afraid to 
to fail because it's from your things that fail that you learn most. And uh, we've uh, failed in a, in a good few things and that's how we learned as we went along. John and Brendan, I really appreciate your time today. Um, and as we say, it's part of Sustainability Week, but there's plenty of examples uh, throughout the conversation and in reality, what you're doing on farm that has in, improved performance and uh, re, re, reduce cost in places and improve the, the sustainability of what you're doing. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Emma Louise. Thanks, Emma Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to John and Brendan Walsh for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join us next time for your Dairy Edge.